Well, I'm going to speak a little differently today to you, and I hope you will uh, be okay with that. I guess you don't have a choice. Um, well, you do. You could walk out, but I'd rather you not. No, it's not like that. What I'm saying is the Bible has some very deep theological truths in it, doesn't it? God communicated them to us. You know, things like this. There is one God and one mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus. I mean, that's, that's a power-packed statement of theology. Or uh, God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin so that in Christ, in him, we might become the righteousness of God. That's, that's a very theological verse about imputation, our sins being credited to Christ's account and being judged, and his righteousness that he earned being credited to the believer. That's very theological. But God also puts in the Bible just people and their experiences. And that's, that's another way that he tries to help us to learn. And uh, I want to talk more on a personal level about uh, the Apostle Paul. I want you to think of him not so much as the great Apostle Paul, he is a great Apostle, as the great theologian Paul, he is a great theologian. I want you to think of Paul today as a man, a person, just like me and you are people. Because sometimes we lift people in the Bible up as, and we, we kind of, yes, they've done this and this and oh, but he's, he has, he's just a man like you and I. Well, not like some of you. He's a person like every one of us here. You know what I'm saying? So I want to talk to you a little bit about Paul's life. And I want to talk more toward the end of his life. Uh, focusing perhaps on maybe the last decade of his, of his life here on earth. Most of you know that the, Paul was someone who hated Christianity. He hated people who believed in Jesus. He was very zealous for Judaism, and he saw this as an abhorrent uh, religion, uh, a perversion. He did not believe Jesus was the Messiah, and he persecuted people who believed in him, right? You all know that was the way he started. Then he had this experience. He was actually on his way to go arrest believers in, uh, in Damascus. And as he's on the road, he has this experience. Christ uh, appears to him miraculously, and a bright light comes. He's blinded, and Jesus is saying to him, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And uh, he is converted. And he begins to, now this one that he so vehemently opposed, he starts proclaiming, oh, you got to believe in Jesus. you got to believe in Christ. He appeared to me. And he not only talked to Jewish people, he primarily was uh, saved and uh, commissioned to be an apostle to the Gentiles. In that day, that was a, a very cultural uh, differentiated group, Jew and Gentile, and they did not like each other. Well, anyhow, uh, Paul then is, uh, he goes out on several of these missionary journeys, and he starts to tell people about Jesus, and sometimes he'd be gone for months, sometimes a few years, because he'd sometimes stay at a place and uh, minister there. But everywhere he went, these churches were started. At the end of his third missionary journey, it ended up in Jerusalem, and uh, he actually brought an offering from some of the Gentile churches uh, in Macedonia and other places. And they actually, so, isn't this kind of cool? Gentile believers gave of their money to send it to Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. Man, if you, 
if that doesn't mean that God's over something, you know, God's at work of something. So he comes and he gives that money. But he's in the temple, and then what happens is that some of the Jewish people there who knew Paul was involved with Gentiles started to stir the, stir the crowd and say, he's teaching that, you know, we can't, be, we can't follow Moses anymore, and he's talking to Gentile people, don't follow Moses, all this kind of... And the, the crowd gets stirred up. They actually find Paul in the temple. They drag him out, and they start beating him. <laughs> they want to kill him in the street. It's not the first time that kind of thing happened to Paul. And a word gets to the, the Roman uh, leader, the tribune. Hey, there's a big disturbance on the street. You've got to get out here. And he grabs a bunch of soldiers, comes out. They, and as soon as all the people see the soldiers come, they stop beating Paul. There he is laying on the ground. You know, and you can imagine the tribune saying, what's going on? What's, what's, going, what's this all about? And they're saying, the crowd is yelling, he can't figure out anything. Paul is barely able to speak, so he, he arrests him, puts him in chains, takes him into the headquarters. He plans on flogging him to make him talk. <laughs> What's going on? You know, and Paul says, wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm a Roman citizen. Oh, now the tribune picks up here because it's not even legal to put a Roman citizen in chains without, you know, the proper things. So he, t he starts to change his tune a little bit, and then the tribune finds out that there's a plot against Paul, and so he decides to move him, and he take, gets all these soldiers, and he takes them from Jerusalem up to a more Roman-fortified city of Caesarea, up on the coast, by the water. And uh, he, he says, and he writes a letter to the governor there. Uh, his name is Felix. Are you okay with this? This is kind of like, don't get bored. I'll try to keep moving. Good. Stay with me. It's a story. This is, what he, this is what he experienced. So this governor, Felix, starts to hear the case, and, you know, and, and the high priest comes. This is about a week later. He comes, and the, they got lawyers with them. Nothing against lawyers. Are there any lawyers here? Okay, no. <laughs> Nothing against lawyers. But these lawyers were, they came up, and they made their case against Paul. He's a troublemaker. He causes riots, Felix. He's got people all stirred up. I mean, he's, they follow this sect this, this, these, of the Nazarene. They follow this sect, and it's, it's, it's wrong, you know, and so forth. Okay, Paul makes his defense. He says, I'm not, a, I'm not trying to start a riot. I was in the temple peacefully. But as far as this thing he, they call a sect, I am a follower of Jesus. I do love him. I do believe in him. He appeared to me on a road. And I go everywhere to tell people about him. Well, that's, that's kind of the gist of where it goes. Felix kind of knows that there's nothing. Paul's not a threat. But he wanted to please the Jewish authorities, and he wanted some of this. He says he's hoping that Paul will bribe him to let him go. And, of course, Paul doesn't have anything. So he just lets the thing ride. He puts Paul in prison, and that went on for two years. I mean, I pause for 10 seconds, we get uncomfortable. Two years? Nero is uh, the Caesar in Rome, and he eventually replaces Felix. He, he kicks Felix out, and uh, he, this other guy named Portius Festus becomes the governor. And so he starts to, you know, get a hold of this situation. He talks to the Jewish authorities, and same thing, he wants to please them. 
So he says to Paul, I think, what, how would you like it? Would you just go back to Jerusalem and face, face charges there? And Paul doesn't want anything to do with that. He knows how that would end. He says, no, I'm, I'm here. I appeal to Caesar, which was his right as a Roman citizen. He could appeal to hear his case, have Caesar hear his case. And so Festus uh, gets the brain thrust together and he says, okay, you've appealed to Caesar. To Caesar you will go. And so they start to make the plans for him to be transferred to Rome from Caesarea. And then this other king comes in. His name is King Agrippa. He comes to visit Festus. He's the great-grandson of Herod the Great, who killed all the babies, you know, in Bethlehem when Jesus was born. This is his great-grandson. He's now a king somewhere of some territory. But he hears about Paul, and he says, Festus, I'd like to hear this guy. And Festus says, okay, tomorrow you'll hear him. So they bring him out. And it says in the Bible, this, all this stuff is in the end of the book of Acts, by the way. You can read it. It's, this is what took place. There was this great pomp and circumstance. I bet they had, uh, you know, the trumpets out. And, and here comes Agrippa and his wife. You know, they come in. They're all some big shots. They're the king. And they're appearing before Festus. And here's old Paul, you know, been rotting away in a prison for two years. And he comes out and he makes his defense. And he starts talking about how he saw Christ on the road to Damascus, how his life was changed, how he used to persecute. Now, how he's, he's telling everybody about Jesus. He's the son of God. He's risen from the dead. Festus is there and he yells out, says in a loud voice, Paul, you're crazy. You're out of your mind. Your great learning has made you go mad. And he says, I'm not out of my mind, Festus. And then he, this is when he talks to Agrippa and he says, Agrippa, you know these things. You believe the prophets. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? And that's, I mentioned it last week in the message and Agrippa says, in such a short time, Paul, would you try to persuade me to be a Christian? You know? And that went on and the hearing ends and it's very interesting, the two of them talk, Agrippa and Festus, and they kind of say, you know, it's kind of a shame he appealed to Caesar. We could have just let him go. This guy's... You know, he's, he's crazy, but he's not dangerous. And isn't that interesting? If Paul hadn't appealed to Caesar, they probably would have let him go. But God's always working, friends, and he's always doing things. So a boat comes, they get up, put him on the boat, and he takes off for Rome. Along the way, it's a very treacherous journey. There's a shipwreck, actually. And off the coast of Malta, they have high seas. The ship is basically run against the rocks. It breaks apart, but miraculously, with God's help, all 270-some people on board this ship, including Paul, are saved. And they're all, they make it to the island of Malta. Think of the life this guy lived. I get a flat tire, I'm upset. <laughs> you know? Oh, man, I'm tired. I got to change the tire. The ship was, <laughs> he got shipwrecked on the way. Then they have to wait through winter at that place on that island. And uh, finally in the spring, another ship comes by. They put him on there. He arrives in Rome. And God graciously allows Paul to, while he's a prisoner, he doesn't have to go in the worst of the prisons, but he, he, he's able to rent his own quarters, a small room. And uh, he's in chains. There's, it's like a house arrest. And there's always a guard present. But then... He's there for two years, and the book of Acts closes just telling us that fact. And Paul lived in his own rented quarters for two years. People were able to come to him. 
He wasn't uh, alone there, uh, but he could not go anywhere. But he could summon people to come, and some people came. And, uh, but you're thinking, well, Luke, Luke wrote the book of Acts. You go, he's a scholar. Why didn't he just put the ending? It's like getting a book and like the last pages of chapters tore out or something. And uh, what happened, you know? What, did he go to trial? Did he stand before Nero? Was he released? What happened? Well, the Bible isn't perfectly clear on that point. It doesn't reveal it, but there's some extra biblical material from historians and a few hints in his letters. But I'm not going to tell you what that is until we get to the end, okay? I'll tell you what happened to Paul. But what happened, so let me, what happened when he was there for those two years? Well, first of all, he wrote four books of the Bible. He wrote the book of Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and a letter to a man named Philemon. And he often refers in those books to his imprisonment. He'll call himself the prisoner of Christ. Or Paul, I, Paul, prisoner of the Lord. Or he called himself, I'm an ambassador in chains. And whenever you read that in the Bible, you, you know what he's talking about. He's under a house arrest. He's, under, he's in Rome. And there's something else that you need to know. In the Roman system, the prisoner was responsible for all their needs. So in other words, it's not like prison system in America right now where, you know, they're fed, uh, there's clothes, they're, they're, if they need medical care, they, medical care is provided. No, in the Roman system, somebody had to bring that to you. If somebody didn't bring you food that day, you didn't have food. So for two years, I take it that Paul is having his needs met by other people. And uh, wow, how would you like to wake up someday and go, I don't know, who's going to bring me food today? Am I going to have anything to eat today? I bet there's some days he didn't have anything to eat. Well, one day, he gets a visit from a man named Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus. He's a, a member of the church in Philippi, which is in northern Greece. So he's traveled all the way from Philippi to Rome, and he brings Paul money. And Philippi was the first church that uh, Paul had established 10 years earlier when he crossed into Macedonia. It's the first time that uh, the gospel was taken to what is modern-day Europe. So if you have European roots... And any of your ancestors came from Europe or heard the gospel, Paul was the first man to take it there. He's the first one to preach Jesus on that, on that continent. And a church had been formed in Philippi. And here, 10 years later, they send a guy with money to talk to Paul and give it to Paul and, and supply his needs. And Paul is so grateful in fact, when you read the book of Philippians, it's really a letter in response to their kindness and generosity. And he, he writes a letter to them, and it's dripping with emotion. It's just dripping. I read this a new way today. I mean, excuse me, this week as I was preparing. You know, sometimes we just turn to Philippians 1, over we'll verses 3 through 8, and we read it so. But listen, his heart, this guy just showed up. <laughs> supplying for his needs financially. And he says this. He starts to write a letter. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Oh, I remember the first day I walked into Philippi. I remember you. Always in, 
in every prayer of mine for you all. He, he must, Paul must be a little bit Southern because he keeps saying you all in here. Yeah, y'all, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. You partnered with me from the day I came to Philippi. You helped me. You helped support me. I left Philippi. You helped support me. You sent money. And here it is 10 years later. I'm a prisoner in Rome. You still care about me. Wow. I just, tears came up in my eyes. Oh, that we would have friends like that, huh? And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. God's done something good in your heart, and I'm so confident he's going to carry it on until you go home to be with him. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment, your partners with me even in my chains, and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, listen to this, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Oh, I wish I could be with you. I wish I could be with you right now. I yearned. Oh, what it would be to just have one of those meals at so-and-so's house or have a time of worship together like we used to and just, oh, I wish I could be with you right now. Man, it's powerful. You know, we don't write letters that much anymore. I think the closest thing we have in our day and age is a, a card. We'll, oftentimes we'll write a note in a card. But we, we very seldom sit and just write a letter. Linda has some love letters that I sent to her. We got one out. It was been a long time ago, and I got one out. I said, who wrote this? I said, put that away. That's a, did I write that? Uh, maybe some of you have that experience. You can pull a, a letter out. But listen, it's, uh, letters are they're personal. It's, it's like in this letter, this whole letter is dripping with love. And so let's, he, gets, he writes all these things to them in the letter. And then toward the end of the letter, we're going to focus on a few verses that he writes as he's starting to end the letter. And so in the fourth chapter of Philippians, and by the way, there was no chapters and verses, right? All that stuff was added in so it's easy for us to find where it's at in the Bible. Okay, that wasn't in the original letter. It was just one long letter. Okay, so when you read Philippians, you read any of the the Bible, it's just, sometimes it's good to read it without all that, you know, don't even think about the the chapter breaks and all this, just one long letter. And as he gets to the end of the letter, Philippians 4.10, he says this, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. He says, I'm so grateful. It's been a while since you've been able to help me. And he's not complaining about that. He just says, I'm sure I know you've cared for me. You probably haven't had an opportunity to help me. It must have been a long time since the last time they had helped. But who knows? The Philippians were poor. Maybe they didn't have the money to give. Maybe it was dangerous. I mean, somebody had to come all the way from northern Greece to Italy and bring that money. Traveling with money, that's not an easy thing to do. But he says, whatever the reason, I just rejoice in the Lord that you came. And then he says in verse 11, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. 
in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I am so glad that Paul did not say, I am content in all circumstances. He didn't say that. He said, I have learned to be content in all circumstances. See, he's a human being. Are you content in every circumstance all the time? Has your spirit ever stirred or grieved, fretted, become anxious over some situation in life? Yes, it has. All of us do. You think Paul had no experiences like that? I mean, what would it be to be dragged out and left for dead somewhere? No, I mean, you think that was pleasant to him? Or he just, he was, oh, okay, whatever you have, Lord. Throw another stone. I'm content in the Lord. Throw another stone. It wasn't that kind of attitude. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying, I have learned to be content. That word learned means learned through experience. He says, as I experience life, good things and bad things, I have learned how to be content. <laughs> he knows how to be brought low. He knows how to have an abundance. You know, the abundance has its own pitfalls, by the way. When everything's going good for you in your life, you tend to forget about God. That's, that's a peril, too, that we can face. But he says, whatever, I've learned that no matter what I'm facing, I've learned in all these experiences to be content. Now, the word that Paul uses for content, and this is as technical as we'll get today, is actually the Greek word means contained. To have sufficient resources within. And the feeling is this. If you have a sufficiency in yourself, then you're content, right? Because you don't need anything. In other words, just after Thanksgiving meal, there's a lot contained within me. <laughs> Therefore, I am content. Uh, I am very content. I'm not looking for more food. I just, I just very content. But that's the idea. That, that's what the word says. If, we're, if we don't have any need, then we're content. In fact, the Stoics used this. Uh, this was one of their primary words. Uh, Stoicism, it, the philosophy would still be around today. But back in that day, it was the philosophy that said, why are people discontent, really? Why do people get discontent? Well, they're discontent because they want something they don't have. So the key, the Stoics would say, is to kill your desires. Don't want those things. Don't want any person don't want any, don't desire any things, any people. Push yourself away if you don't. Hey, listen, if you're not involved with people, you can't get hurt by people. You'll learn to be content in yourself or your emotions. What about your emotions? Emotions take you up and down, up and down. How many of you know that? We do, right? And when we're up, we feel good. When we're down, what? We're discontent. So the Stoic would say, you can't show any emotion. Learn to just not show any emotion. So what do we say of somebody who doesn't show too much emotion? We sometimes say they're what? Stoic, right? That's where the word comes from. And Stoicism, though, tries to create this inner contentment through these kind of techniques. But Paul is using their word, but he's going to change it. He's going to change what he means. And even the word secret, 
Stoics had, you, you could be initiated into their secret society. Think of it as like the Masons today. They have their secret society and their secret initiation rites. And he says, you want to know a secret? You want to be initiated into the school of learning? Here's what I've learned. And he says it in verse four, uh, 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That verse I know is often misused because it's in the context of handling circumstances in life. Paul says, you know what's contained within me? You know what my sufficiency is? I've learned that I can be sufficient in the inner Christ who's living in me no matter what my circumstances are. That's what he's trying to say. We kind of use that word triumphantly, you know. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, meaning I can do everything, you know, with Christ's power. You know, Paul couldn't do everything. He couldn't even leave his house. (laughs) Seriously, he couldn't leave his house. I mean, we can't do all things. There are things in our circumstances we can't change. There are things we can't, we don't, you, you can't just say, oh, But with Christ's power, I can do everything. You can't do everything. I can do all things that God brings into my life. I can handle that because he's with me. He's my resource. How many of you watch golf on uh, TV? Not too many. Okay. Here's why I watch golf on Sunday. Sometimes I'm trying to fall asleep. (laughs) Seriously, yeah. And you put it on there talking real soft. Yes, the putt breaks slightly to the left. Slightly uphill has to go over the ridge. <laughs> you know. But if you watch golf on TV, sometimes the pro golfers, they're teeing off. That means they're, they're, they're doing their first shot off the green, off the, excuse me, off the tee, and they get this big driver, you know, and it's the biggest shot. You know, they hit it like 300 yards or something now. But as they're getting ready to hit, there's like people lined up on this side, and there's people lined up on this side. I, I saw it last week. I told Linda, man, if I was getting ready to drive and those people were standing there, they are in grave danger. <laughs> grave danger. And I don't think it would help them if I said, don't worry everyone, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It doesn't work like that. It's not a magic formula. That's not what Paul meant. We can't do everything that we want to do. We need Jesus. Life is hard. Life is hard. And there are circumstances in life that you really can't change. And you don't know how it's going to end. But Paul is saying, you know, it's okay if you struggle with a problem in life. Sometimes we make people feel bad if they're struggling with something. Oh, come on, brother. Come on, sister. You know, you can do all things to Christ. You can, you know, you can handle that. Yeah, I've been out of work for eight months. I know, but you can do all things to Christ. It gives me strength. You know, we just give them these quick things. Or, you know, they lose a baby or something. And they, you know, oh, you have another child. And you'll do all the things that have strength. There's somebody unable to have a child. Oh, come on, you can, you can handle all things. You know, it, it gets so... Life isn't like that. These things are hard. I still remember uh, 
I was thinking, I'm a pastor here at Hope, so I, I get this, I know of things that people struggle with in the church, even more so than some of you know some of the things that people struggle. But uh, I just, uh, I've stood in a room with parents whose 13-year-old son had just passed away from cancer, and he's in a hospital bed in the living room. Or, you know, somebody at the hospital and somebody who says goodbye to a loved one or somebody, some problem. There's so, so many hurts and pains in this world. And Paul is simply saying, you know what? I've learned that as terrible as things can be sometimes, I have an inner resource within myself who is Christ himself that somehow... He's with me. I, don't, I can't even explain how. I thought of this this week when we got a phone call. I remember when Linda's brother Jimmy, we got a phone call in the middle of the night. from the, He was in Medina Life Care Center, and the nurse called and said, you have to get to the hospital right away. And we knew what this was. I just, we just knew in our hearts Jimmy was gone. And Linda's mom was living with us at the time, and we had to go wake her up and say, come on, Mom, we have, to, we have to go. Something's wrong with Jimmy. We knew. We didn't tell her initially that, you know, we just let, let everything in stages, you know. And finally, we get there, and, of course, we're, we're told the news, and we go in to see him. And I can't, all I can say is the presence of Christ is real. Your heart may be breaking, You may be in deep pain, but somehow God is with you in that. He sustained, I don't know how he sustained through that, the experiences he, he just does it. I wish I could graph it for you. I don't know how he does it, (laughs) but somehow he's there and he helps us. Paul says, I've learned this. I've learned it. I wasn't imparted a gift. (laughs) You know, this didn't come to him supernaturally. He has the the gift of contentment. He didn't learn it in a textbook. He just, he said, I've experienced this in life. Friends, there's some illustration from nature. You know, trees have root systems that go up underneath the ground. You don't see them. But they bring nutrients and life into that tree. Uh, rivers are fed by snow-capped mountains and you rarely see how the water gets down, but there's a supply for those rivers that, that feeds them. Scientists tell us that in the ocean, there's a lot of times a, a hurricane or a cyclone over the ocean can create 30-foot waves, but if you go down deep enough, there's a stillness there under the ocean in the depth. And all I can say is Paul's trying to say this is what it is with God. There's, there's, there's a nutrient. He, he feeds us. He sustains us. He helps us. He's all that you need. That's what I've learned, Paul says. If I'm brought low, Paul says, I'm in Christ. If I abound, I'm in Christ. If I'm in prison, I have Jesus. If I'm released from prison, I have Jesus. If I live, I have Jesus. If I die, I'll be in the presence of Jesus. That's how he learned to live his life. He learned to live that way. Yet he says to them, as he concludes, begins to conclude his love. In verse 14, he says, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. 
Oh, it was so kind of you to share my trouble, he says. And he goes on to talk about some ways that they had shared uh, in, his, in his trouble. Can I just say something? We need people that will come along people and share in their sorrows and in the things that they face. And it's so kind, Paul said, that you would be concerned for me. I want to say something to you as a Hope Church family too. Uh, several of you have said things to me similar to this. Pastor Jim, thanks for hanging in here with everything that's been going on with the church and transitions and hurts. And, and can I just say something to you? Can I say thank you to you for hanging in? Thanks for hanging in there. Thanks for your support. Thanks for your love. Thanks for your kindness. It's not been easy for any of us, has it? But there's been a God who's helping all of us. And I just want to say thank you to you. Your love means so much to me, to my family. And he concludes with this blessing in their lives. He says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. You know what? He says, You've been so kind to help supply my needs. I just know God's going to meet your needs too. And that's the way it is with people who give and help meet needs of others. They are refreshed. There's that, that proverb I've always loved, Proverb 11.25, says that a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. I love that. It's a wonderful promise. As you refresh people, as you pour into people, as you bear their burdens, as you support and love, there's just this sense that God's going to meet your needs too. He's going to be with you too. Okay, so what happened to Paul? What happened to him? Well, like I said, it's not clearly spelled out in the scriptures themselves. But there are some references there, and there's some historical references by uh, historians, secular historians as well, as church historians. And most people believe that Paul was released from this imprisonment uh, after two years. We don't know all the details why. It's not clear if he actually appeared before Nero or if nobody came to press the charges. He eventually will uh, appear before Nero, but most think that he was actually released. Actually, if you read uh, Philippians, uh, Paul anticipated, here's one of the hints. If you get In chapter 2 of Philippians, he tells the, the Philippians, I am confident that I will be delivered from this. He, he had kind of this confidence that he was going to be delivered from this imprisonment. And uh, there's some historical facts that uh, was written that Paul went to an area of the West, which means he think some scholars interpret that he went to Spain. He'd wanted to go to Spain. And uh, in Romans, when he wrote the letter there, he says, I hope to get to Spain and, and visit there. So some think he actually got out, went to Spain, continued to minister. He wrote the book of 1 Timothy during this time and the book of Titus. But then at some point, he must have been rearrested because we do know that he eventually was uh, put to death in Rome. And during that second imprisonment is when he wrote his very last letter of 2 Timothy. And he included, he included these very, notice how his tone has changed. 
No longer did he say, I'm confident that this will end in my deliverance. Listen to what he says this time. This is uh, 2 Timothy 4, verses 6 through 8. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Some of the last words Paul would ever write. Friends, all that we need is Jesus. Ultimately, yes, we need each other, but ultimately, we need Christ. He is the resource from within that will enable us to be content. Our contentment is in Him. Our contentment is that He will never leave us. He'll never forsake us. I don't know what you're battling today, but God is in it. He's with you. You say, but how could He? I, he doesn't care. Yes, He does care. I just know He cares. That's His character. And I just point you to Him. Worship team, would you come? We're going to sing in just a moment. One song that I've loved singing is uh, a song called All That You Need Is Jesus. We're going to sing it on Wednesday evening. And by the way, I invite you to come because uh, the Bible says that we are to cast our cares upon the Lord. And just if you're burdened, you, need, uh, you just want to bring things before God, you want to be with other people, just normal people who have problems, we're just going to come. And it's going to be okay if you have a problem. And we're just going to pray together and say, God, would you help us? Would you help so-and-so? Would you help them with this? Oh, God, would you help them with that? And I invite you to come. The lyrics to this song simply say, When clouds arise and light grows dim, he calls on you to look to him. Your simple prayer will reach his heart. His perfect peace he will impart. All you really need is Jesus. Cast every care on him who answers prayer. All that you need is God. Let me pray for us. Father, I want to thank you that part of the way you reveal yourself to us and show us how to live is through the experiences of real life people in the Bible. And I want to thank you for the Apostle Paul. I want to thank you for Epaphroditus, he actually got very sick on this trip and uh, taking money to Paul. And I just, I'm thankful that you, I'm just thankful that he came, Lord, that he cared, that people in Philippi still cared about Paul. And ultimately it was you caring for him through this church. I don't know what people battle here today, what hurt, what pain, what distress, what has tried to tear them down. But I pray that all of us would learn that our contentment can only be found in you. You're the resource we need. You're the cornerstone upon which our lives will stand. So God, thank you for helping us. Keep us in the school of learning how to be content. Thank you that none of us have arrived. 
but help us to have this confidence in the inner Christ who lives within every believer that we can, it's a source of power beyond ourselves. And you will help us. You'll get us through somehow, some way. Oh God, thank you for this truth. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.